Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. One of the top questions asked of children, if there's lots of questions we ask of children, one of the top what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember that conversation? What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut until the 1982 shuttle explosion. And I'm like, I don't want to be an astronaut. And then I'm like, okay, I want to do something amazing. I thought about, can I be a circus performer? I was going to be an actor, move to Hollywood, obviously, for my acting skills. And I had like all these grand ideas when I was a kid. What do you want to be when you grow up? All of the students here and youth here right now, both here and online, this is a big question because we're asking this question of when there's a time in which I get to participate and be a part of something, what do I want to do? So I went to college uh, basically to play men's volleyball. It's a different story for a different day. But I went to college with this idea that I wanted to be a youth pastor. I loved youth ministry. I was super engaged in it. My life was transformed by it. So when I grew up, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I sat down in class. I listened to the first few lessons and said, that is the dumbest job ever. I am out. I'm never going to be a youth pastor. And I left my major. So then here I am in college. So all of our college students can understand that that kind of like, what do I actually want to do? You start taking some classes and it gets confusing. And so I switched my major to sports medicine. So when I grow up, I want to be on the sidelines of the Green Bay Packers, who are obviously going to win today. Yeah, they don't have the mic now. I do. Stop talking trash during worship. Just going to let that be said. So the green, the, I wanted to be on the sidelines of their, or, or Major League Baseball, and I had this dream of what I wanted to do. And then it was changed again. So I graduated from school. I started working. But then God called me, ironically, back to be a youth pastor. Isn't that ironic? But we've asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And maybe you sit here today with dreams that you had when you were younger. You remember those fun dreams and you ended up doing something that I didn't really find fulfilling. I didn't really like it. I don't really like what I do now. I'm bored with it. It doesn't stimulate me. Or you're in the world of, I have my dream job. I love what I do. I love that I get to help people. I get to sell things. Like, you are at the place you were supposed to be. Our work... And what we do is something that we identify with. So when you walk into a place, one of the first questions is, what do you do? What do you do? And if you do something impressive, everyone's like, oh. If you're a pastor, like, oh. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. But we think about our identity is locked into what we do. We put so much time into dreaming what we want to do. But listen to this. Katie Hope, in an article, says that in the United States, the average amount of time a worker age 25 to 34, spends at a job is 2.8 years. The average time spent at a job is 2.8 years. Now, old school, I'm going to talk to some old school in here right now. Back, people used to have loyalty for companies. Companies would have loyalty to you. They would value you. They would honor you. And you had this reciprocation of, I love my company. I love my job. But over the course of time, it's now changed. It's changed so that the workplace is everybody feels expendable, 
and that there really aren't any benefits to staying at a location. And then the millennials picked up on it, which is that age range of 25 to 34, and they're going to move to what they feel is the best opportunity for them. Not for the company, what's best for them. And so this whole idea of work and career and what I do is shifting at a major rate. The world's changed. People have moved. We're, we're more mobile. We're now working from home. Have you ever thought about, we haven't even thought about this yet, what has working from home changed in our, us as a society? We've come into COVID and now we're doing all these different things and many of us, including myself, work out of my living room. And now we don't go to a place like we used to. Everything has shifted, and though some of you are coming back to work, this whole idea of even work is shifting once again. And companies are rethinking how important workers are because now they don't have enough workers to be able to work in restaurants and places and food and, and industries and factories, and so now everything is grinding down to a halt. Work matters. Work matters. But what if we viewed our job from a different light? Because we look at our job from the context of what do I like to do, what do I want to do, uh, what fulfills me, what do I feel like I'm making an impact in the world? But what if we looked at work and your job differently? Now, when I say work and job, I want to be very clear what I'm saying. You do not have to go somewhere to work. Every, I'm going to say it right now, the hardest job in the world is a stay-at-home mom. There's nothing harder. I tried it for a little bit when I was a dad. Like, no way. I'm going back to work, right? So no, it doesn't matter if you are out there getting paid, if you're working within the home, you're volunteering, and you're not getting an official paycheck. Work is work, okay? So defining as what you do in work, what if we looked at it differently? What if your job has nothing to do with paychecks, has nothing to do even with what you produce but it has everything to do with God putting you on the front line of discipleship. Just pause with me for a second. What if your job, your work, is putting you on the front line, not in the back row, but the front line that God has provided a space for us to not only be fulfilled and to work and to serve and do all the things I mentioned, but really it's a front line that you are now on the front line with the ability to be able to disciple others. Think of your context. Wherever you work, whatever you do, think of your context. Every single one of you are, have the ability to be engaged with people who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to be discipled, to walk through hard things in their life, to be loved, to be cared for. All of us, no matter where you are, have the opportunity. One of my favorite statements, because as we get into this concept, oftentimes the, the people who don't have professions kind of pull back and say, you don't understand, I've heard this so many times and I've corrected it, I'm just a stay-at-home fill-in-the-blank. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home grandma. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm just, I'm saying incorrect. In fact, I see that wherever God has you right now have a greater ability to frontline. And when I've watched men and women embrace that, this concept, now see their life as discipleship and are not only engaging and helping what their roles are, but also now are engaging the community and friends and layers and neighbors with the hope of the gospel. What if our entire work life is supposed to be about the gospel? When I was younger, I never even dreamed of that. I just dreamed of being on sidelines. I dreamed of loudspeakers. I dreamed of running out on Lambeau Field because it's the greatest place ever in the world. We all know that. And I, and I dreamed and had all these dreams and never once did my mind ever think my life is meant for discipleship. Discipleship is something I do. It's not something who I really am. 
So it's kind of something I add on to the rest of my life. In fact, really when I was younger, and depending where you are today, I thought discipleship was the job of the guy on the stage with the microphone. It's the pastor's and the church's job to go and do things like that. My job is to come and listen. But I'm going to share with you today something that I think is amazing, that God has actually provided an opportunity for every single one of you to disciple. Every single one. No excuse. Because if you live anywhere near people, there's someone next to you, and none of you live like nomads, so I know there's somebody living near you that you could disciple, to friends you could disciple, to workers, and so on and so forth. And so we're going to dig in today to Colossians 3, 23 to 25. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, feel free to jump on there. We have a new Wi-Fi available to you, which is Mosaic Guest. You can log into that. Thanks to our team for making that happen for you guys. We don't want you to use all your data here, right? So uh, Mosaic Guest, you can log on to that if you're using your Bible app. Uh, Colossians 3, 23 to 25. And this, this verse was something that is very uh, special to me because at a young age, I read this verse and it really influenced my entire life and exactly who I am today. Colossians 3, 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So think of your life through the context of discipleship and this verse, and let's start putting these things together. Because often we think of discipleship as a program, a study, coming to church. We start to add all these elements to it. But here we see the Apostle Paul saying something a little bit different. He says this, whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart, everything that you are, as if you're doing it and working for the Lord, not the person who's telling you to do the job. Boy, if, if we could have a dollar for every bad boss we had. Every bad boss, come home from work, this guy's a total knucklehead. Man, he's making me do this. I can't stand her. She does this, does that. And we grumble and we complain about the people that we work for. But what if our mind shift was changed to say, this person's difficult to work for, but I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ and not for this person? Like, does it matter if I go into work one more day and make one more widget? Am I changing anything? But what if you came into work that day and said, I'm coming to make a widget, but the purpose of which I'm here is for the Lord Jesus Christ. So my purpose is automatically greater, so the job I'm doing doesn't matter because it's for the Lord. This is an attitude that changes your character, and as your character changes, you're looking at the characteristic of being a servant. What if your life is seen in your work environment as coming to serve, not to take? Because our work environment, truthfully, is built around this. I have done something you owe me. So I've completed my task. You said if I work this week 40 hours, I get X amount of dollars an hour, therefore give me my paycheck. Great. We all like paychecks. It's very important. That's not what I'm saying. What if you came in and said, I've come today, and the byproduct of this is a paycheck, but I'm coming to serve the Lord Jesus Christ on mission. That every day in normal stuff, you're a disciple maker. And that's the difference of this whole series that we're in, an everyday disciple. Because in everyday discipleship, you start to look at your life not as something I turn on and off in your spiritual life, but something that you constantly are and you see every opportunity, everything in your life as an opportunity to disciple. For playing golf on Sunday mornings, when, after church, of course, 
from going to games with people, to inviting people over to your house to hang out, to game nights, to your work, to being a good neighbor. You're seeing everything as an opportunity to be just like Jesus so that others can see it. This changed my life forever. I read this verse years and years ago. I was in my first jobs, and I hated them. I had the worst jobs. I've been working since the age of like 10 or 11. I've had a job, always working. So all the old school guys out there, you know what I'm talking about, old school ladies, like we work forever. So I've always had a job. And when you're younger, you take the garbage jobs, right? I was scrubbing toilets and cleaning stuff. And then I was a paper boy. Paper boys uh, are something that are a thing of the past, but paper boys used to be on bikes, and I'd have all my newspapers in here, and it'd be heavy, and when it rains, I'd deliver the paper, and when it snowed, I'd deliver the paper. Like, I'm always delivering the paper, and I hated it. And then on Sunday mornings were the worst. I'm so thankful for my, my dad, who would open up the back of his truck and allow me to take his truck, because the Sunday papers were, like, as thick as a brick. And here is little 150-pound Jason, like, trying to lug around all these papers, but my back of my dad's truck, and I would sit there, and you had to get up so early in the morning, like at like 5 o'clock, oh my word. So I'd get up at 5 o'clock, I'm an angry teenager in the back of a truck, slinging papers into your box, but that was a better job than the job I had, which was college pro painters. College pro painters, I worked as a college student painting houses, I had no idea what I was doing, I was making like $4.75 an hour, I almost fell off a roof. It was a terrible job, 150 degrees out. In every single one of my jobs, I just complained. Complained, complained, complained. I complained about how my job was going. I complained about my boss. I complained about how hot it was. I complained that it was wet, it was cold, it was this, it was that. I saw myself so different until I read this verse. And this verse says something so astronomical. Let me go back to it again, verse 23. Whatever you do, Notice the words, whatever you do. This isn't just work, but we're going to pertain it to work. Whatever you do, this is your relationships. This is working on your marriage. This is working on friendships. This is your job. Whatever you do, this is how you clean your home. This is how you help others. Whatever you do, however you play, no matter what you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters completely different mindset when you start to put the Lord as the forefront of your everyday life and your comings and goings and your actions changes everything. But before we move on, I'm going to go backwards in the passage. Stay there in Colossians 3. We're going to move back to 18. I want you to see that Paul is actually speaking out a way that impacts others. We're going to go back to verse 18. This is right before our passage in 23, 18 to 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, also parents, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord." So we're going to take this passage in cultural context because this is not a conversation about husbands and wives. It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about why slavery is in the Bible. We're going to take it in the context of the biblical times, in the context of Paul's time. Their culture is very different from our culture, so let's look at it through the lens of what is the author trying to say to us when he's listing these different opportunities. He's saying this, everything you do should be from the viewpoint Work for excellence for the Lord and not the person. 
Because he makes this list of husbands and wives and children, slaves, everybody, no matter what you're doing, he then says in verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I am a type A, high-driven, high-capacity person. That's just how God made me. But the other side of being type A, high-driven, is I get frustrated and complain often. All you type A's in there, I see the look on your face, you know what I'm saying. The other ones are like, it's cool no matter what. But for me, I get frustrated because I want to drive, I want to go, let's go, let's go. And when I don't meet those goals, I get frustrated and I start to get irritated and I grumble and I complain because when I do and get into that mindset, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing for the Lord. I'm thinking about how it impacts me, especially the small stuff. Let's talk about the small stuff for an instant. You've asked your daughter to clean her bathroom 723 times. Your daughter refuses to clean her bathroom for whatever reason in the world. You know, towels all over the floor. I, and this is, this is just your home. Uh, towels all over the floor, clothes all over the floor, toothpaste spit on the, on the mirror. It's messy. There's stuff out everywhere. You've asked her and asked her and asked her. And for whatever reason, she hasn't done it yet, but you have friends coming over. Now, this is... This is tension point, right? I've asked you to do something, you haven't done it, we've got to get the bathroom clean, and you start to clean. And you get on your knees, and you start to clean the floor. Now, what is running through your mind at those moments as you're cleaning the floor? A whole lot of, okay, wait till you get home later, Missy, and you're cleaning the floor, and you're putting away her things, and you're frustrated and grumbling, and you're just irritated because you weren't obeyed but what if you got on your knees and said, Jesus, I'm here to clean your floor today because this is your bathroom, Lord. And as I'm approaching this, Jesus, I'm, you've asked me to clean your floor. Would you grumble and complain to the Lord of the universe if you were cleaning his floor? I think you'd be like, this is so awesome, God. I love you so much. I, you know, I got so much to say. Could you sit down? I have like 100 questions. Like, what's up with zebras, right? And you start washing the floor and asking all these questions. And you would be in a totally different mindset if you said, I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, isn't everything we do supposed to be for that? As you speak to your spouse, and you guys are not getting along, and you look at your spouse with frustration and anger, do you see him or her as a representation of the Lord? That's the Lord's child, and how I treat him or her is how I treat the Lord. When you go to work on Monday, and oh, it's Monday, meetings Mondays, right? Like, oh, <laughs> boom, we all don't want them. But you come into meetings Mondays, and you sit down, and there's all this grumbling, complaining, and all this frustration around the table, and you say, I'm here because I'm going to be in this meeting for the Lord. And you start to shift your mindset out of yourself into this idea that the Lord is the one in which you do everything. You start to now embrace an idea of what it means to be an everyday disciple. Everything, all day, every day. If you're a student, all the students in here right now, both young and a little bit older into college, your work that you're doing is not for you to have a fantastic future for yourself. The work in which you're doing is to be the best that you can be in which God has made you to be placed into a place which he places you to disciple and love the world that desperately needs it. Totally different way of thinking. I remember when I was younger, I remember missionaries would come into my church, and uh, missionaries always scared me 
because they'd come and they'd wear like the garb from their country and they would talk other languages and show pictures of people. And when I was younger, I'm like, this is really weird. Like, where's the mac and cheese and the McDonald's, right? So I couldn't comprehend this other person. And that missionary would come in and the missionary would share stories about how God called them and how they've given their entire life to God. And the first thing I always thought, so if you're with me today, hear me, absolutely not. There's no way I'm ever, ever going to that place to do that thing. That sounds terrible. And I sat there in the seat at the young age of Jason with my hands closed and saying, my future is my own. You have no right to it. I'm not going to be doing that because it sounds terrible. And I actually, my yearbook, which is super funny, like my dreams was make a whole lot of money and blah, 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 and none of that came true. So <laughs> my fists are closed. I'm sitting there thinking, this is my life. It's my future. I don't want to let this go. And when it comes to what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, I'm not going to open my hands to that. In fact, my life, my day is mine. And what I found over time, whether you're new to the journey with Jesus or just exploring it or you've been on it for a while, you realize that the tighter your fists are closed, the wider he makes them. Because over the course of time, I started to learn and I heard this verse and this verse started to infiltrate me so that at the age of 17, I sat at a campfire at a camp in Upper Peninsula of Michigan and said, God, I give you my entire life. And I meant it. And I'm here today because of it. And I started to change the way I saw work, profession, life, family, to say, what if I just always serve? What if I give my life away as, a, as a, an offering to God, and I literally take that verse seriously, that I'm going to give my life away, do everything for the Lord? That is what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, no matter what you do, if you're a wife, do it for the Lord. If you're a husband, do it for the Lord. If you're a parent, Parent for the Lord. If you're a worker, work for the Lord. Everything goes in this direction. But let's move on in the passage uh, because I want to show you something very awesome. We're going to move over to Matthew 5, verses 15 to 16, to show you what Jesus is talking about when Paul is getting this. Paul's writing on these teachings he's heard, and here's one of the teachings of Jesus that explains this whole idea of why we do everything for the kingdom. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. He says this, you are the light of the world. Maybe you've heard this verse before, but listen through new ears. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people hide a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus, always talking in stories, always giving us analogies. He says something pretty unique right here. He says, here, this is the idea I want you to think. You are given the light. Why in the world would you ever cover that up? Your job as the light, the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ is to put it on a mountaintop that lights up the world so that everybody who's in darkness sees what you're doing and they don't say you're great, they say that God Almighty is great. So if your work, somehow you diminish your light in your job and your work. You put a cover on it. Do people, I don't really want people, we don't talk about faith here. If you're covering the light, if you're covering your light, you're doing the opposite of what Jesus says, because Jesus says, put your light on a stand so everybody can see it, so that they see what you do. Now, if you have been around people who are hurting, lost, broken, 
which many of us and all of us here in some form are, but people who are lost and know the Lord. And you start to bring light, just the ways of Jesus, into their worlds. They start to see a compare and contrast of how you talk about your job, how you discuss your family. They start to see when you're working and no one's paying attention, how you go the extra mile. They see these things, and they start to ask the question, what does this man or woman have that I don't have? It's happened to me many times. I know some of you as well. And this is why this is so key. Jesus is teaching us that we need to be a light in our marriage. Jesus is teaching us you need to be a light in your parenting, in your job, in your neighboring. You never turn this thing off. It's everyday, all-day discipleship. Now, depending on your church background, this can be kind of a new concept. For many of us in a traditional background, we think Sunday is the day for the Lord, and the other six days are the day for me. One day for the Lord, six for me. That's not what this verse says. The day of the Lord is a day that you're supposed to rest. And then the six days you work for the Lord. You ever thought about that? That Sabbath, the whole idea behind Sabbath is that you now rest. Take a break. Turn it off. You focus your time and we have our Sundays and we worship and we hear the word to rest and let your soul be filled because Monday everything's going to be dropping and now your character is going to be shown to everybody and your light or not your light is going to be seen because now Monday through Saturday you're working. We tend to flip it around to say, Lord, I did my job with you on Sunday. Now I'm going to work six days a week, which is the opposite. It's actually learning and resting and growing so that we then go on mission for the other six. Let's move on in our Colossians verse 16. Or excuse me, uh, verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward, going from where we were before, it is the Lord Christ you are serving When we are working in everything we do, we're always serving. We've talked about that. We talked about the everyday stuff of life. But I want you to hear this because this isn't heard a lot right now. Everything you do in your life matters. Grace is amazing. Grace saves us from sin. This isn't about salvation. Salvation is different from our conversation right now. Grace is a free gift given by Christ through the gospel. You can't earn your way to heaven. That's chapter one. Chapter two, everything you do in your life matters. Everything you do, or I'll add, or don't do, matters. Your work matters. What you do matters. If you sit all day on Xbox, it matters. If you are working all day and ignoring your family, it matters. If you have a servant heart and are giving generously, it matters. If you're a great neighbor, it matters. Everything matters matters. Because Jesus says this, it's unbelievable, that there is an inheritance that you receive for what you do. So let's talk a little bit about eternity. There is salvation through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved simply by grace. Then there's this other piece, that what you do matters. And what you do matters does not conflict with this. But there is, and I don't understand why God does this, gifts, blessings, things in which he gives for our life. That which is sin is washed away, and Jesus talks about it in the book of Matthew, that we store for ourselves treasures in heaven that last forever. That's what Jesus was talking about, that what we do matters, and we are given rewards for the life that we lived. Now, that which is done for eternity lasts forever. That which is done for today comes, dies, and is gone. Think of it like a meal. 
We sit down to a good meal. It took seven hours to cook, 10 minutes to eat. It's gone. You enjoyed it, it was gone. That is what a life done for the world is like. You enjoyed it, it's done. That which is done forever, for eternity, now says the work and what I'm doing matters. So now for an internal perspective, what I'm doing, the Lord and I are going to talk about this again someday. And it matters. So when you think and maybe process, ah, sin isn't that big of a deal because I'm forgiven. It doesn't really matter if I do this or don't do that. You start to process some different aspects of your life. Here's what I say to you. Your life matters. Everything you do literally matters for eternity. There will be a day when those who are believers come before Jesus, and there's a place for believers that this isn't about heaven or hell. This is about what you've done. It's called the Bema Seat. And as we sit before the Bema Seat of the Lord God Almighty, that which you have done will all come to fruition. A life well lived, that which mattered for eternity, much is given. That which you did nothing, but you're saved. You, you get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. But there's a difference. And I don't know the difference because they don't talk about it. But I can tell you about this difference. Everything you do matters. Work as unto the Lord and not towards men. But what's crazy about this verse and how he ends this amazing piece of encouragement, he ends it on a down note, if you will, on 25, verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. So here you've got this great encouragement. Everything you do for eternity matters. However, everything in which you do outside of that also matters. They both matter. Everything you do matters. If I can start to drill this into your head, every moment, every breath, every action, every not action, every wasted minute, everything matters. So when we take the different concept of what if I give my entire life as unto the Lord and not towards men, you start to change the way you see the world, and now I work and I give, giving all I can to serve the Lord so that it matters for eternity. I've had many people, and I'm sure you have too, come to me and say, I'm, you know, I'm a good person, I've done some good things, I'm not that bad, right? I'm not that bad of a person, like I didn't kill anybody, like good, like congrats. Um, so we try to make our standard of what's good. And so we start to say, I've done all these good things, and these good things outweigh the bad things. So my bad things are lower than my good things. Now my good things, let's just cut those and we'll... It will figure out the difference, and the difference is how good of a person I am to get to heaven. And that's completely not biblical. Last week, we talked about having a biblical worldview, which means we view our lives and interact through it, through the scriptures and the word of God. And what God says is that the standard of God is here, the standard of you is here, all of your good works that you do doesn't move this bar at all because God is still good and you still are not. You can only be saved when God gives you grace, and that grace is, I will allow you through my son Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with me. That's salvation. Now, what we do with our life, the good is here. The bad things we do here, we are paid for both of them. And this verse is scary. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Like, Jesus, you're supposed to love me the most, and he, there's no favoritism. There's no favoritism if you're a pastor or if you work in a factory. There's no favoritism. We are all exactly equal when it comes to this. Does your life matter? Are you seeing that everything you're doing matters? Because the things you do that are not good also come back. Like, well, I don't like that part of the story. I just want to hear about 
fun stuff, but that's not true. The true word of God, guys, is this. Everything you do matters. That for eternity matters. That done for yourself will be burned away. That and what you do is wrong is going to come back around. Now, why does that mean? I don't know. Before the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be at this judgment seat, and at this judgment seat, our life all matters. How does it go through this? It doesn't say how he goes through it. Do you have a flashback through your whole life? It'd be kind of cool, but also really embarrassing, right? I don't know. None of that matters. What does matter is what you did mattered. Because now before Jesus, you start to give an account for your life. Friends, the worst thing I can think of is that you stand before the Lord and say, I wasted my life. Hear what I'm saying to you today. Other than knowing the Lord, if you know the Lord, that's number one. Because if you don't know the Lord, you're not even at that seat. You're at the judgment seat of Christ in which you're separated from him forever if you don't know the gospel. I'm talking about this truth. That if you know the Lord and you wasted it on yourself, the Lord will have, you wasted your life. There's so much opportunity for those who have breath in this room to be an impact for our community, the world, to love, to serve, and to do our jobs for the Lord Jesus Christ because everything you do matters. I told you before when I was younger I had a ton of jobs. I engaged this verse when I got my first real job, we'll call it. I was an usher at Marcus Theaters. Uh, this was the early 90s. They still wear it, but for those who don't know, they, they have, we had an amazing, really attractive black tuxedo and a ruffled shirt with a red bow tie and red vest, and it was smoldering hot. And I would be at the front, and I'd be the one to check you in until you stop trying to sneak your candy and soda, and you know who you are. And uh, I would be at the front, and I didn't care to let people go, but the worst part of my job, my job was paying $4.25 an hour, and this was like 1993, $4.25 an hour. Best part is I got free movies. The worst part was the pay and what I had to do, because checking you in is fine, but let me tell you what's really awesome about being an usher. I love it when you have a large soda that you refilled but didn't drink all of it, and you've got like, oh, let's say seven-eighths of the soda left, you throw it into the garbage can along with all the popcorn and goo and sludge. And then I would come and take the bag and pull it up and all that would dump on my beautiful tuxedo. You don't wash a tuxedo, guys. You dry clean it. I'm not going to dry clean it. I make $4.25 an hour. So I'd take these big slimy bags and I would have to carry them all the way over to the garbage and we'd dump them out. And back there, let's just say it wasn't the cleanest of places. And you can imagine of all the sticky goo. And I love movie popcorn. I'm like a super addict. But even I couldn't eat it after a time after seeing this. And then we would get done with that, and my boss would say, Jason, I need you to go in the back and clean the popcorn machine. The popcorn machine, if you've seen it, Marcus, in different movie theaters, I've got the big kettle thing. It's just like on the screen behind me. We have the lid that flipped open, and we had this big, huge basin. And one of the places I worked at, the big, huge basin was in the back room. So you'd make a small little closet. You'd make this popcorn. It's like 295 degrees in there. And the fun part is that you didn't have to taste, work with the sludge. You got to make the popcorn. But then here's the down part. You had to clean that machine every day. And so I would, I, I, I hated, hated cleaning the machine. Loved eating popcorn, hated cleaning the machine. So we would make all this popcorn, and I'd be done with it. Jason needed to clean the machine, and I engaged this verse. And I remember looking at the machine, and this machine has not thoroughly been cleaned since 1973. Sure, the oil's kind of wiped up. It is disgusting. 
like there was just dirt and grime. Don't worry, this Marcus is shut down now. If you're like, oh, was it Menominee Falls? No, it was a different place. <laughs> and it was all this dirt and grime in there, just years and years of somebody cutting corners. I remember this verse, I learned it in my youth group, do everything as unto the Lord and not towards men, became a mantra for me of, of scripture to be able to meditate on and think through and say, if this was Jesus' popcorn machine, how would I clean it? And so I took off my jacket, I rolled up my sleeves, and I started to scrub as hard as I could. And I cleaned that thing to an immaculate place because I just want to say, if this was Jesus' popcorn machine, would I cut corners? Would I, if this is Jesus' popcorn machine, would I say, ah, Lord, that's good enough? Master of all things, you have planets and stars at your command. You can make asteroids fly by the sky. Is your popcorn machine good enough, right? I would go all in, and so I cleaned it, and I was sweating because it was so hot in there and sweat's dripping on my clean part. Then I got to spray and clean it again, and my arms hurt, and I got done with that, and I sat back, and nobody knows this happened except for me. I sat back at that job as a young man of 17, 18 years old, and said, I now understand what my life is for. What if I do everything as unto the Lord and not towards men, even a popcorn machine, even things I don't think matter? I never got praise for it. I didn't go to my boss and like, hey, check me out. I totally cleaned the popcorn machine. They'd be like, cool, now go grab the garbagey goo out of the, oh, like, oh, gross. So we finished everything up. I finished it up, and I took this verse, and I paused, and I just sat on it. Do everything as unto the Lord and not towards men. What if cleaning a popcorn machine mattered for eternity? You're like, that's a far stretch, Jason. Or is it? Because the character that I'm building is I'm showing the characteristics and priorities of Jesus is I'm changing things when nobody sees what's going on into something visual in which now we as a church family are part of. What if cleaning a popcorn machine, just process me for a second, is why God called me to be a pastor? What if the small things you're doing right now that you think are insignificant and you are putting your whole heart in is that God is giving you opportunity for even greater things for the kingdom? What if, just dream for a second, what if your job, what you're in right now, whether you like it or don't like it, Monday morning begins with, I'm doing this for the Lord and not for anybody else. When that baby is crying and the diaper stinks and you clean it, it's for the Lord, it's not for him or her. When your boss is yelling at you, you missed the deadline, you're working hard, you reevaluate, you're not working for him, you're working for the Lord. What if everything in your life was about him? I wish I would have understood this and lived this my whole life even better. Yes, at a young age I learned it, but like everybody else here, I've gone in and out, up and down, left and right, made good choices and terrible choices. But I will say this. Everything we do matters. Everything. There's no wasted time. There's no wasted moment. Everything you do matters. What would tomorrow, what is today, what does after this service look like as you walk out of here? What does it look like if everything you do matters? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.